Alright, I still ain't waiting that girl to run to her car. Alright, so we uh very, very beginning, we just started. We talked about last week, just quick review. Uh, we talked about the days of creation and the arguments that day is an age is a, you know, we talked about that. Um, we're going to take them as 24-hour days because that's the way the original audience would have taken them. We're going to, I'm just reviewing, so it's all good. Uh, we're going to, uh, we talked about phenomenological language. You remember that big word, phenomenological? It means just, if you weren't here last week, it means just, it means language that describes what we see. You know, Moses didn't write, God didn't pen through Moses the book of Genesis to be a modern scientific textbook because if he would have done that, then it would have been useless to all the people for 4,000 years up until today. So he described it in ways that they would understand. Just like we say the sun comes up, the sun goes down. It's not scientifically correct. The sun doesn't go up, the sun doesn't go down, but it's phenomenological language. We, just, we talked about that. We talked about the other things as well. Basically what we're going to see is as we walk through creation, the creation of everything, God is the sole creator. We talked about the fact that there aren't any gods fighting each other and all that kind of stuff like you have in all the myths. God's the sole creator. And because he is the sole creator, the point is being made that he's sovereign. He is the one that's in control. And so he is. He has ownership of the land. He has ownership of the fields, of the beasts of the air and the beasts of the fields and the birds and the fish. And he has ownership of those things. This is his creation. And so pretty much that's what we're going to see. Last week we looked at day one, didn't we? What was created on day one? Don't remember. Well, the heavens and the earth. Verse 1 is a summary statement of everything. God created the heavens and the earth. That's just a summary of the entire process. It's kind of like a literary introduction. On the In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Uh, formless and void is the way of speaking about how there was nothing and everything was empty. There was no form. There was emptiness. And all six days of creation, he rested on the seventh day, are going to be three days are going to be forming everything. Three days are going to be filling the earth, getting the, you know, uh, getting rid of the void, so to speak. And so on the first day, God created light. Remember, He said, "Let there be light," and God said, "And that light." Verse 2, formless void. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 3, and God saw the light. Light was good. God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. The darkness he called night. We talked about that last week. And, uh, and there was evening and morning, day one. The first day. It says the first day, but it, th that phrase there is different than all the rest. The rest is going to say second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. But right there it says day one, which is a lot of people have arguments about what that means or what it doesn't mean, but it was the first day. And so the second day, let's start there. God creates... So, uh, man, this is some small print. Uh, what verse am I in? Six. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. So what is the firmament? We wouldn't call it. Huh? Well, it's the, yeah, it's the atmosphere. The water's above and water's beneath. It's the space between uh, 
there's some debate about whether it's talking about the, 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 the atmosphere between space and land or between the clouds and, and land. Basically, we would call it the atmosphere. Now, if Moses would have went into a discussion of orbital, planetary, atmosphere, the stratosphere, the ozone layer, the, if he would have done that, then the word of God would have been useless to the Israelites to whom he was writing. It would have been useless to almost all of human history until we started learning about the atmosphere and the stratosphere. and the. So what he does is he, he's using this phenomenological language. He calls the firmament. There is some discussion, and this is kind of wild-eyed discussion, but there's some discussion about what it means. But when he says that he uh, created the firmament and it separated the waters from the waters, we pretty much know the waters beneath are, remember, there's no land yet. So it's all just waters and the waters above is going to be either. There's some discussion about what it could be. Uh, usually I tend to think it's just like the clouds or the, the space itself described as waters. Um, there's some people, I'm not one of these, but there's some people that make a case that there was like a layer of water, uh, like a greenhouse thing around the earth at this time, and that's what broke loose during Noah's flood and all that kind of stuff, and that's also why people lived longer, because it was shielding the, you know, it's all kind of theories about this deal. Um, I tend to take it just like what it says, you know, it's talking about the atmosphere. God divided the waters from the remember there's nothing but there's nothing but what call what he calls the waters god created a firmament an expanse a space basically in between that divided the waters from above from the waters below so we would call that the atmosphere everybody got that understand and he says he says uh, he names it uh, in uh, verse 7 maybe god made the firmament from the waters, we read that. God called the firmament heaven. Now, verse 8, heaven, the word there is shemayim. Y'all want to memorize that? Shemayim. It can also mean sky. It means heaven, sky. It means, means those different things. If you look in verse 14 and 7 through 17, we're, gonna get, we're not going to look at it, but we're going to get there eventually. Uh, the heavenly bodies are put in it. The sun, moon, the stars, all those together. But if you look in verse 20, also the birds fly in the firmament. And so what we see here is he's using this language, the phenomenological language they would understand. Because when you're standing on the earth, okay, you're just a regular old Israelite back in the whatever age it was, back in 14-something hundred B.C. And you look up, what do you see? You see the bird flying around in the sky. And you also see the sun and the moon and the stars and all that. So he was describing that what they looked up and saw in terms that they could understand. And so he wasn't giving them a scientific treatise about the sun is 14 billion light whatever away from the earth and all this kind of... He wasn't giving them. He was describing what they saw and he was describing it in terms that they could understand. It does, Listen to me. It does not mean that it's not true. It is true. 
God created in six days. He created everything that we see. He created the sky. He created the space. He created all those things. Here in a minute we're going to see He created the sun and moon. And it says, and the stars. He created all the stars that you see. He created the heavens and the earth. But you also see when He calls it, when He calls this sky, when He calls it heaven, the heavens, Shemayim is the name, the Hebrew word. Uh, when He calls it that, He's describing what they look up and see. Everybody understand that? Do we have anybody have a problem with the understanding what it means when he's describing what we see? Everybody good? Questions, comments, nothing? Okay, so he calls it heaven. He calls it it's the sky. And the evening and morning was the second day. Okay, so he is forming everything at this at this point. Uh, he names it. That means it's his. It belongs to him. They look up in the sky. There's nothing up there that you can be worshiping. You know, I don't care what. Back then, they worship all kind of gods for all kind of things. We're going to see that over and over again. There's no sense in doing that because there's only one God, and He created all the things. Yes, ma'am. I do have a question. Uh, so when He is making the reference here and what He calls it heaven, that's not what we generally think of heaven. You just think it's the sky? Or is sky? Yes. If you're thinking heaven like the place where God lives, yeah, God lives and believers go, yeah. no, he's not, he's not describing it that way. Now, we use the word heaven in a lot of different ways, though, don't we? Mm -hmm. Like you look up into the heavens, you think in space and the stars and all those kind of things. Or when you say you die, if you're a believer, you go to heaven. You're really not talking about space. You're talking about in the presence of the Lord and all that. We use the, the word in different way. And it's interesting, both in Hebrew. I'm not really a Hebrew scholar. Uh, I, know, I know just enough to be dangerous. Uh, but in Hebrew and in, in Greek... The word heaven, it's Uranus in, in Greek, it's Shemayim in heaven. Both of them can mean heaven, like the place where you go when you pass away. And both of them can mean the sky, like the skies. And so you, you, you know what it means by the context. See what I mean? Does that make sense? And so he definitely wasn't talking about like his throne room where you go to be with the Lord. But that's out, you know. Like some would say space, some would say the sky. And it's kind of a mixture of the two because when we get down to, like I said, verse 14 through 17, he's going to place the heavenly bodies in in, in the, the Shemayim, the heaven. And he's going to, uh, you're going to see that the birds fly in the in the heavens. You know, and so... That's the deal. I thought that was Kaylee back there. That's not you. No, that's all good. He ain't bother me. Okay, and so verses uh, day three, verse nine through ten. I know we're getting somewhere that's interesting. I know I may be boring y'all right now with all these, but it says, "And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let dry land appear." And it was so. So he's still creating by divine fiat. He's creating by speaking. Let this happen, and bang, it happens. He Land comes up. He's separating the waters from the land. He's still forming the earth. Remember it says the earth was formless. The first three days is him forming the earth. He's making form out of formlessness. And it says, and... Uh, Man, this is some small print. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And he and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. It was good. The earth and the sea. The land and the sea, basically. It's, uh, thank you. Making a distinction between... You want this one? You get some magnifying glass. Um... 
distinction between the land and and the sea. He's forming out of the formlessness. The the now think about this for a minute. In uh, if you were an Israelite receiving this revelation from God, the first thing the first thing he, you would understand is you know, if you're a Canaanite, you had Canaanite gods. You know, Baal was a Canaanite god, and you had if you were a Midianite, you had Midianite gods and Edomite gods, and you had gods for these different countries, and each one had their own little deal. Here, all that is dispelled in one verse. God created all the land. This one God is God of over all the land. Doesn't matter if you're in that country, doesn't matter if you're in this country, that country, all the people around Israel at this time, they've worshiped their own little God. This God is the God of our land, our country, our whatever. Each culture had its own little God. Understand that he's saying, look, God created all the land. The land and the seas, the entire earth. And so this God is God over everything. You can't have your little country God and your country God and your culture God. All this would be dispelled in this one in this one section. He created the land and then he brought vegetation forth in the land. Now this is kind of important. So uh, it's important. It's going to be important in the next chapter. But let me go on and explain it to you here. It says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself. That's important upon the earth and it was so. So what he's doing is he says let there bring forth vegetation. In the next chapter uh, chapter 2 of Genesis focuses in on the creation of man. And so it's going to rehash some of the same things that we're talking about here. But it's going to say when he goes to create man, he's going to say when there was no plant of the field and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, God created man. So it makes it sound like he created man before he created the plants. But here you need to understand that these are plants that reproduce by seed alone. They seed, germinate. Seed spreads and they reproduce. And they're given for food. And so the plants in chapter 2, we're going to talk about it when we get there. I'm not going to go into a big thing. Those are cultivated plants. You you know, you plant them, you dig around the earth. You, there was no man to till the ground. And so he is... He is um, he is the God of all this vegetation. Is that important for the Hebrews at the time that they're living? What were Hebrews primarily? What did they live on? Yeah, they lived on what they grew. They lived on the crops. They lived on the harvest. And what happens when, you know, all the cultures around them. You know, think about this. Think about this. You know, there was a lot. Of, there were some hunters, and they would go and kill animals and stuff like that. But most cultures at this time were agrarian. They were they grew crops. They whatever. In it would take nothing more than a bad storm to wipe out your entire crop for the year. And if that happens, you know, there's no government subsidies and nothing like that. You can't run to Kroger and just get whatever you want. People starve to death when that happened. Uh, it could be one plague of locusts, one swarm of, of insects that come through the, and, and it would wipe out all their crops and everything. So what did people do this time? They would, they would pray to these fertility gods. They would pray to these harvest gods. They would pray to the god that his, his realm of influence was the vegetation and all those things. And here Moses makes it clear. God through Moses is making it clear. There's no such thing as harvest gods. 
God himself is in control of the vegetation. He creates it, he names it, and he calls it good. And so he alone is the one who, he is the, the, the alone, uh, alone, the one who is in control of those things. He calls it good. Verse 12 says, Earth brought forth grass, herb yielding seed after its kind, trees yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. That's a very amazing statement, really, because at this time, the fall had already taken place. You know what it was like? I mean, there was they were, they were eating from the ground by the toil and sweat of their brow. They were, you know, weather patterns where they worried them. The insects could mess up their crop. They were years of starvation where the crops failed. Uh, people were coming from other countries and destroying their crops. And all these things going on, they needed to know that it wasn't always this way. At one point in time, we haven't got to the fall yet, but one point in time it was good. There was no, there was no worrying about where the crop was going to produce. There was no uh, straining by the sweat of your brow and toiling to, to have enough food to eat and all those kind of things. At one point before the fall, before sin came into the world, everything was good. I had an argument with a guy one time. This was his, and actually I kind of like the idea, but I don't think it's in the text. He said that vegetables are uh, because of the fall. And before the fall, it was only fruit. It was only fruit. So if you eat vegetables, you know, really, we go to heaven, we're not going to have to eat vegetables because they weren't part of the original creation. No, I don't buy it either, but I don't like vegetables, so I was kind of happy that he said. But if you look at it, it says, it says, he brought forth the grass and the herb yielding seed and every kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. He saw that it was good, and then he he says he, it was it was really funny, but the way he put it was, after the fall, man had to do it on the ground, and what what comes from the ground is vegetables, right? Fruit comes from the trees, you know. So anyway, that's just funny. So if you ever have a kid and he don't want to eat his vegetables, you can say it's biblical, yeah, huh? Oh yeah, he added all that. It's not in there, but I just thought it was funny. I thought it was pretty funny. Okay, so it's completed. Day four. Day four, God creates. This is where we're going to talk a little bit more about these things. <clears throat> if you got something to say, just jump in. I'm just going to keep on going. Uh, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament. These are lights in the firmament, in the, in the heavens, in the sky, of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. The lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Why didn't he call them the sun and the moon? They're Hebrew words for the sun and they're Hebrew words for the moon. They, they were there. So it's not like he didn't have the vocabulary to describe the sun or the moon. Why would he call them the greater light and the lesser light? Well, I mean, that's obvious. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he say, why wouldn't he say, <clears throat> God created the sun and God created the moon? There, I mean, they had. There's words in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, for the sun, for the moon. You could have said he could have said the sun. Let me ask you this: If I would, last week I asked Miss Judy what time sun came up. It says that all languages. 
And I said, yeah, well, that may, that may be so. That might be true. What would, what would you have thought if I said, Miss Judy, what time does the greater light come up? Mm-hmm. Would you have said, that's kind of weird. Why would you <laughs> say it that way? Nobody. Now, in all that atmosphere, there's more than one sun that we see. There's more than one moon that we see. Sure, there he is. And that's God true. That's we true. Know. The greater light. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the Egyptians worship Ra, but every culture has a sun god. You know, every culture had their sun god. And what's interesting is the cultures that were around Israel used the same word for sun was the, the sun word that Hebrew could have he could have used Moses could have used was the name of their god. And so by calling them, he doesn't even give them the, probably not the right way to put it, but he doesn't even give them the dignity of calling them the sun and the moon. He calls them a great light and a lesser light. These are not things to be worshipped. They're not divine. They're not, they're not, they're not even personable. They're not alive. They're objects. God created a, a big light and a little light. Huh? Yeah, and so he's, he, you know, people have always, people, still today, there are people in other parts of the world that worship the sun and the moon. And not only do they worship them, but they build their life around them in such a way that they believe that the sun, the, the patterns of the sun and the moon and the stars are going to dictate what happens in their life. How many of y'all, be honest, read that horoscope deal? Anybody? Y'all just saying that because you ain't in church. Yeah, that's a, that is a form of worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because you are, you are, I mean, some people do it for just like a hobby. So I'm not saying, oh, y'all are going to hell if y'all read your horoscope or anything like that. But there are people, there are people who build their lives based on the movements of the stars and the sun and moon and all those kind of things. They, they say, you know, uh, if you're a Pisces, then something good is going to happen to you today. And some, you know, your redheaded cousin is going to send you a check or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But they'll say, depending on your sign and the movement of the stars and all those kind of things, the stars will line up for you today and you'll get you know, all that is as ancient as ancient as civilization itself they worship the sun and the moon they worship the stars they they looked for their destiny in the stars like the stars would tell them what their destiny would be you know who they would be what their life would entail all those things and moses is here saying look god created a big light and a little light. They're not alive. They're not divine. They can't do anything. They can't tell you anything about who you are or where you come from. Or they can't intervene in your life. They're just things. A great light and a lesser light. They are subservient to their creator. They're a great light and a lesser light. But here also he tells us. he. It, it seems funny to y'all that kind of the stars... Just kind of get like a little phrase at the end. It's almost like God said, oh yeah, throw some stars out there. It says, look at verse 16. It says, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. <laughs> Have y'all seen that uh, deal? That's uh, like a like that Louis Giglio deal with about the stars and the golf ball. All that. Can you imagine with the the magnitude of some of those stars out there that a billion Earths can fit inside one of those stars? And here is like he threw the stars out there. He created all them stars too. 
I mean, it's almost like what it does is it focuses you and it shows you that God's focus in all of this vast universe and all the vast planets and stars and all, where is God's focus in creating? It's right here. It's on this little blue dot out in the middle of who knows how big space is. And that's almost inconceivable. I've heard many people say, you know, they believe in aliens, and I'm not here to debate the thing, but they believe in aliens because there's just so much room out there. Surely this can't be it. But this little, I was going to give you this video to watch, but uh, it's kind of old and it'd take a long time. But this little blue dot is the focus of God's creation. It's the focus of, of all, what all of the universe is created for. We're here to bear the image of God. We're going to see that here shortly in this chapter. We're here to spread the image of God around this planet. We're going to see that too right here in Genesis 1 and 2. And everything else... In the universe. What's it here for? The heavens do what? Declare the glory of God. It's as simple as that. And so it says, He created the big light the, to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night. You know, He had a little extra time, so He threw the stars out there too. But He, gave, he gives us also the function. The stars are not there for you to worship. The sun and moon is not there to decide your destiny or your horoscope or any of those things. The only thing that they're for, the only thing the sun and the moon are for, is they have two jobs. Number one, they are to mark time. And they still mark time. And number two, give, give light. That's all they're supposed to do. It says in verse 14, he says, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be signs. That's what they're there for. They're signs. For what? For seasons, for days, and for years. They are to mark time. That is still how mankind marks time. By the movements of the earth around the sun and the movement of the earth as it rotates in the moon. That's how man marks time. It's still how we mark time. That's how we mark our days. It's how we mark our seasons. Further away from the sun, or I don't know, you know how it rotating on its axis, further away from the sun, winter, summer's closer. You know, you know how it works. That's still how we mark. It's interesting. There have been, I'm not here to give you a history lesson either, so I'm not going to go into depth, but there have been a few times in history where. Man, mankind, uh, part of countries and you know different systems, have wanted to make a ten-day week rather than a seven-day week. Like there was, it was the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, it, anyway, there was a few different times where they wanted to make a ten-day week, but it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. It messed up the times, the seasons, the years. It messed up everything, and they had to go back to a seven-day week. Why? Because that's the way God created this place. You can't just make a 10-day week and say we're going to do a 10-day week. Because that's not how the planets function. That's not how God created it. He created in seven days. Therefore, you're going to have a seven-day week. And you're going to rest on the seventh day. And all that kind of deal. That's how it's built to function. And so all that you see out there, the star, the, the, the sun and the moon, they are built so that we will be able to tell Time. We would be able to understand the times, the seasons, the years, the days. The uh, it would separate those things. Do you believe that a lot of times, you know, you probably say this knowing yourself, uh, that God uses like 
the atmosphere signs the moon tell prophetic stories events that are occurring such as like the full blood moons that happened a year or two ago or whatever the case may be yeah well the the blood moons as they call it they right. they, they happen every year really and they've happened forever right. you know they it's been it was popularized this right. last year right. for right. sure but those those red tinted moons happened right. all the time right. but i yes i do see what you're saying god told all the prophets throughout you know different things sometimes he uses prophetic language to describe like if you look in um I don't know right off the top of my head. I think it's uh, Isaiah Isaiah 19 or 18 maybe. You know, when he talks about the destruction of Egypt, he says, you know, and the earth is going to quake and the stars will fall and all that. And he uses that language to describe that. But he, he calls them signs right here. So he does use them as signs. But in the context of Genesis 1 right here, the signs are for, what does it say? Uh, sign, uh, seasons, days, Days and years. So they are for signs, but they're also for light. Verse 15 says, And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So I think the point that he's making, the point that he's making is these are created by God and they are under his control. So if you're praying to the moon, and I'm pretty sure none of y'all are praying to the moon, but if you're praying to the moon, praying to the sun, if you're worshiping the sun, if you're worried about the stars and directing your life, you are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so that's what he's kind of showing. And he's going to go through this over and over. And he's, he's letting them know there's only one God. There's only one creator. There's only one who is worthy of your worship. And that's really the point of Romans 1. I don't know if you all are familiar with Romans 1. But it talks about man. He, he loved the creation and worshiped the creation and served the creation rather than the creator. Now I know none of y'all are going to go out today and worship the sun. None of y'all are going to go out and worship the moon. But we have have in us the um, the fleshly desire to worship things in this creation. And when I say worship, I'm not talking about, you know, I know y'all are not going to be kneeling down in your driveway, worshiping your truck or bowing down to something in your house, but we live for it. We live for it. We love it. It's our purpose, whether it be family, whether it be free time, whether it be job, whether it be all those things. We have the innate fleshly tendency to worship creation. Rather than the creator. We have the tendency to worship the gift that God has given us rather than God himself who is the gift giver. Y'all, can y'all think of any examples where we worship the creation <coughs> rather than the creator? No, but I think we put a tendency on having something to look at. Yes, yes. We want something visible. Right. Visible. see something, you know, Yeah. I think we can even without material things. With children, you know, like for a mom, children and spouses and things that it's very easy for us to do. Yeah. I think time. Just Worshiping. Time. My time. Yeah, my free time. Oh, yeah. I'm all about my free time now. I'll be mm-hmm. getting in my free time. <laughs> so I have a question. Has anybody ever debated this with all these other religions and stuff? Because globally around the world, we all have seven days. We all have 24-hour days. So... How do these other religions explain, explain that when we have it explained so perfectly in our? Well, um, uh, Islam explains it the same way as we do. They just believe in a different God. 
that God created. A lot of, if you read the Quran, you read Islam, a lot of the parts of the Quran come from the Bible. They talk about Abraham, talk about Moses, talk about all those kind of things. Um, huh? They think it's, they believe we worship the same God. Well, some do. Most don't. They understand. They would deny he's a trinity. They would deny, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and if you're talking about atheists or whatever, they believe it's the way it is just because it's the way it is. You know what I mean? They say it's just the way it is because chance blew up, you know, whatever billion years ago and just happened to be the way it is. Whatever excuse. That's the excuse that seems to be there. That's the excuse they give some thinking of sin and live any way they want to. Pretty much, pretty much. Does any other religion explain it like this, though? Or justify where the days come from? Well, they all explain it. I mean, most of them explain it, but their explanations are like we talked about last week. Most of them, you know, there's parts of parts of the Hindu religion that talk about, you know, the world sitting on the ocean on a turtle's back on a elephant on a you know stuff like that just cosmic realities there's some that talk about battles that have gone on in heaven between these whatever gods these eons demiurges whatever you want to call them each one has their own thing each one has their own thing but for us who have the truth you can see how uh, last week we talked about how science corroborates creation and corroborates the Bible you can see how uh, even even, even even if let's just say for a minute that uh, it's miraculous in this creation even if we were doubting the creation which we're not but even if we were you can see here that all the way back in when this was written 1400 BC uh, he explains perfectly why there is 24 hour days why there is seven days a week why there things are like that even before he knew about Moses personally about the the earth rotating around the sun and the moon rotating around the earth and even before he knew how these planetary things uh, took place, even before he knew the, the orbital patterns of the planets and all those kind of things, he wrote, because he was under the inspiration of God, he wrote that the sun and the moon are signs for seasons. Signs for seasons and days and all those kind of things. So even before he had the scientific data that we have about the rotation and the axis of the earth and all those kind of things, even before he had that, he wrote down a true statement about the way that the earth rotates around the sun and all those kind of things by saying that the sun is not up there to be worshipped. It's not, uh, I watched that movie the other day called The Gods of Egypt. Have you ever seen that? With the, I mean, it's really a dumb movie. I mean, they could have made it a whole lot better. But do you remember, how many of y'all seen Get the Gods of Egypt? Nobody's seen that? Two of y'all seen that movie? Yeah, it's a pretty good movie. It's got the 300 guy in it. He's set. Okay, anyway. Um, no, no, it's not real. It's just a movie. But it, the, they have Roz, this big god up in the sky on a boat. And his job is to, he's, if you look at the in the movie, the boat is chained to the sun. And he's pulling the sun across the sky. That's his job. Just go around the earth, pulling the sun across the sky. That's the way people thought. They think, you know, this raw sun god, that's his job is to pull the sun around the... But they're saying, Moses was saying here in the inspiration of God, no, the, 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 the sun is not something to be worshipped. It's not something to be revered. It's a sign. It's a created thing. It's a big ball of fire. 
That's not a Jerry Lee Lewis song, but it's a, something that God created. It's something that God created. Okay? Any other questions? The name Earth. What do you mean? What is the, I guess, where did the name come from? The name come from, does that, I mean, what is the original? Oh, in Hebrew, it's Eretz. It means land or earth. It can mean a lot of these words, and listen, I know I keep saying this, but we, this is English as well. Um, Eretz means land or or earth, or ground. It's depending on how it's being used. If you walked outside and grabbed you a handful of dirt, you're holding a handful of earth. And we talk that way. You know, this is a handful of earth. Now, you know you don't mean the whole earth. But if you say the earth was, you know, you're talking about the whole planet. So you can use, it depends on the context of how you use words. And so the word here is Eretz. Now, what's interesting to me is when we talk about the formation of man, he uses a different word. The word Adama means ground, like dry ground, like dirt. And so it's almost a play on words. He creates Adam, which means man, and that's also the guy's name, Adam. Uh, he, he creates Adam from Adama. He creates man from the ground. And so he it, it's earth here, but it, it's probably talking about land. And the reason why I say that is because it separates, he says he separates it from the sea. See what I mean? So if you're talking about earth, you're talking about everything. Like I'm talking about the land, the sea, the, the sky. You know, you back off into space and you look at the planet, and that's Earth, right? That's the whole. That's the whole shebang. But here, when he said and he called it Earth, where where was that at? What verse? Um. Oh yeah. 10. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the gather of the waters he called seas. That's why I take it to kind of mean land. He's talking about the land and the sea. He's talking about he divided the land from the sea. And we still call it earth. We still call it ground. We still call it all those kind of Have things. Have you ever studied on why, you know, technically we'll never know, but why would God create stuff like Jupiter, Mars, Venus, Saturn, and all the other places? What was the point? The, the yeah, well, the heavens declare the glory of God. Right. The glory of God. Um, we can talk about that if you want to. I have some theories, but nothing I can prove right. biblically. Yeah. Uh, think about it this way. Think about it this way. In the new heavens and the new earth, we get. We're going to talk. Strangely enough, Genesis one, two, and three. We're going to talk a lot about Revelation because it's. A, yeah, it's where it's. This is the beginning. Is where it all ends. Uh, but. Think about this, and I'm not saying this is absolutely true and I can prove this biblically. This is just theory. This is just thinking out loud. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. It's going to be new creation. It's going to be all those things, and we're going to dwell in it forever. Uh, wouldn't it be cool to explore the creation of God? You know, to go to Jupiter, to go to... I mean, we call it Jupiter to Those to explore. Still going to be. He said all four things will pass away. So I'm thinking a lot of times. But there'll be a, but there'll be a new heaven and right. a new earth. There'll be a new new heavens and a new earth. So do you think that literally saying that we're, all this stuff is still going to be here? He's just going to make it brand new by having sinless. I'm saying it's a theory. Right. I'm saying I, I can't tell you. I, I wouldn't base my theology on it. Right. But I'm saying it's pretty interesting. Right. See there again, you go back to the new heaven. Well, God will dwell with us in the new city. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, I mean, all that's just speculation. I mean, I can't prove none of that, and y'all can't disprove it. So it's just something to think about. Uh, I don't know the purpose of galaxies that we've never discovered. I just don't know. But it's it's neat to think about. All that is out there. It's... it's uh, it's declaring the uh, declaring the glory of God, and uh, it's not out there for no reason. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Right. Okay, so let's finish day five, and then beginning of day six. Next week we're going to talk about the image of God in man, and that is huge. It's very important. It's important for the gospel. It's important for the new city. If you're going to miss... Uh, I wouldn't miss anything until Genesis chapter 4. I'm not saying you should miss Genesis chapter 4, but these first three chapters are integral to everything that we're going to study throughout the rest of the Bible. If you missed this, you ever turned on something on the TV and you're like, you missed the first 20 minutes, so like... I don't have no clue. If you miss the first, what the first three chapters of Genesis is teaching, the rest of the Bible, you know, sometimes you open it up and you're reading in Kings or Chronicles and you're thinking, I don't have a clue what's going on. You don't know the storyline. You don't know where it started. So don't, don't miss those things. So uh, <clears throat> verse, created not alive, no, verse 5, is that where we're at? Day 5? Verse 20? Is that right? And the evening and morning were the fourth day. Verse 20 says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, the fowl, the birds that may fly above the air, and the open firmament of heaven. You see where the birds now are flying in the firmament of heaven. And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth with the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now the word whales is... Is I had to look this one up. It's tananim, tananim, and there's some that translate it creatures, some that say monsters, some that say sea monsters, uh, some that say whales. Uh, Leviathan in Psalm 74. You heard about Leviathan in the Bible. He is a that is a example of a tananim. Uh, the the one that uh, Job talks about Leviathan as well. He is a tananim. So what what we're talking about here. You know, whether it's swimming dinosaurs or whether it's whales, sperm whales, you're talking about something very big. You're talking about big creatures. You know, you're talking about, you know, it probably is whale or something like that. Just big, huge fish. God made thousands and thousands of, of these things. He placed all these things in, in the oceans and they, they're going to tell, he's going to tell them to go forth and multiply. And what we see here is what, the cultures in the in the ancient Near East they would they would revere and worship the the sea creatures you know for a long time even here you know even up until like sixteen seventeen hundred people thought there were sea monsters you know like the pirates and the ships thought there were mermaids and sea monsters because they, nobody had ever been down there nobody had ever discovered any of those things and way back then people were were worshiping these things they were saying that these were these were monsters of the deep chaos gods that needed sacrifice in order to, you know, and he says, no, God created these things. God created the whales. God created these big creatures that you see swimming around in the sea sometimes. God created all the birds of the air. They're not a scourge on the planet where, you know, they just keep multiplying and taking over and all those things. God created them and told them to, told them to multiply. Interesting, this is interesting to me. 
uh, in Job, in Job chapter, I'm going to say 41. I'm, I believe it's 41. I did a thing on Job a long time ago. But uh, in Job 41, God is chastising Job. At the end, he's saying, where were you when I created the stars, when I created the whatever, whatever. And he says, basically, he says, he tells Job, uh, I can put, God says, I can put a hook in Leviathan's nose. And I can make him go wherever I want to. You know, this big sea creature or whatever. He says, can you do that, Job? You know? And so God is demonstrating that he's sovereign. He's sovereign over all of these things. God is sovereign over all the creatures. There were, in verse 22, it says, God blessed them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth, the birds. Uh, there's no fertility gods, no whatever. Uh, God made all these things, and he commands them to be fertile and multiply. And then, in day six, God says, verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after its kind, cattle and creeping thing, three, and the beasts of the earth after its kind and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after its kind, the cattle after its kind, everything that creepeth upon the earth after its kind and God saw that it was good. He made them big and small. He made them abundant. He made you know, we can debate about whether dinosaurs are included and all this. I believe that they were. Uh, there is ample evidence that man and dinosaur lived at the same time. Uh, dinosaurs didn't live billions of years and die off and then man just popped on the scene 100,000 years ago. There's ample evidence for the fact that they lived at the same time. There's no secret or mystery uh, about how they went extinct. Uh, species of animal go extinct every year. So it happens all the time, especially if there was a global flood uh, when the Noah parked the ark uh, that rhymed when he parked the ark after after the flood there would be a very there would be a a, a, a shortage of food for animals who were 200 foot tall you know what I mean you have to have a lot of food to keep them animals in business but after the flood there wouldn't be that much you know it took time for plants and things to grow again and so there's lots of cases to be made about why they went extinct and all those kind of things but here the point is that everything that's moving on the ground every cattle every domesticated animal every animal in the wild God created them according to their kind and we're going to see that word kind over and over and over again there's a debate about whether it means species or whether it means, I don't know, you got family, genus, species, uh, whatever we call it. Uh, when, when Noah takes animals on the ark, you guys probably know this from being at the ark encounter thing. Uh, when Noah took families, or uh, families, when he took animals on the ark, he took them according to their kind. Which means there's a canine kind, which includes dogs and wolves and coyotes and foxes and all those kind of things. There's a feline kind, which includes tigers and lions and bobcats and all, all those things are part of that kind. And so it's feasible, I can't prove it and I'm not saying it so, but it's feasible that he took each kind of animal rather than each species of animal. You know, because there's billions and billions of, of different kinds of animals. That's just a debatable thing. I'm not going to fight and die over that at all, whatever. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so I know that we're, we haven't like really got to the making of man just yet, but this is still with the animals. Okay. I know that God brought all the animals to Adam, and Adam named all the animals. Yes. At that time, the animals are loving, and there's no curse. This, yeah, this animal kills that animal, and, and this animal kills that human. 
Did all that happen when the fall came? Yeah, that's a, that's also a subject of debate. I think so. Yes. Do you believe so. that the dinosaurs were before the fall and basically they were general creature with man? Yes. Kind of what Hollywood portrays them to be. What do you mean? Like Jurassic Park. Oh, about millions and millions of years yeah, before oh, man existed. Yeah. yeah, no, no. Like, aggressive and mean. Like well, there's, there's, we're going to get to that, and there's, there's different theories about that. But I do know one thing: you have, there is no death. There's no death before the fall. Death is a result of the fall. The marring of creation is. Before the fall, before the fall, I've had a, I had an argument with a guy at work. He's a vegetarian, and he says, "You know, you're going to be like me if you're going to heaven because we're all going to be vegetarians." And I was like, "If, if heaven's vegetarian, I'm going to be in hell because I want to get. I mean, heaven's going to be my heaven's going not going to be heaven to me because I'm going to eat a steak. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? <laughs> so anyway, we're going to talk about all that, and it's I, yes, there was no death before before the fall. Right, right. Death came because of sin. Sin came because of Adam. I think we're out of time, so we're going to go. Uh, next week we'll talk about the creation of man, and we'll get into that, okay? Lord, we love you. We thank you this day, and thank you for all that you uh, have done. Thank you for your creation. We ask that you uh, be with us and help us to understand how Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 uh, relate to the gospel and to uh, what you've done for us. Uh, next week, God, we're going to be talking about being created in your image. Lord, give us hearts for that. Give us, get us ready for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.